Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzi, a down-to-earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. Amen. You know, we've been talking about a series, uh, Am I Living a Life That Matters? And if you remember so far, we've talked about fellowship and love uh, throughout this series. And we talked about how they're integral parts of making our lives actually matter. Well, if we want to actually live in a way that brings both recognition to God and significance, meaning, and joy to our own lives, well, then fellowship with Christ and his followers uh, is necessary. But we also must practice a life of love. Not just love for ourselves. We found that there's wrong types of ways of doing things last week as well. But we need to have love for others and especially love for God. Well, today we're going to add a third word to our series of a life that matters and and to our key concepts that that make life worthwhile. And that word is righteousness. Righteousness. That's your third word for the series. See, righteousness, it it has to do with being right or just. A A person who's actually righteous is a person who is right with God and acts justly because of it. So this word has to do with our standing in the eyes of God, but it also has to do with how we behave. Because that's because when we obtain the right standing uh, before God because of our faith in Christ, remember we're sinners saved by grace, amen, that shows up in how we actually live and not just what we say. In other words, once we become righteous, then we can live righteously. All too often, though, you hear a lot of preachers talking about righteousness, and a lot of people automatically think that we're talking about a list of these man-made things that we must follow. Or maybe somehow we're talking about, uh, you know, the things that take joy out of our lives. You know, one minister said uh, that the church, by and large, has a poor track record of encouraging freedom. She has spent so much time hammering in in us the fear of making mistakes that she has made us like ill-taught piano students. We play our songs, but we never really hear them because our main concern is not to make music, but to avoid some flub that will get us in a Dutch. See, that's what, what we think about when we talk about living righteously many times in church. We think we have to follow all these man-made rules and we have to you know, obey God's commands so much that all the joy that comes from living righteously is gone. But that's not what God has intended, amen? You know, I hope that we never leave that impression that God wants us to walk on eggshells each and every day. He doesn't want that for our lives. See, this word is not about taking the the fun out of your life. It's actually about being set free to be able to truly enjoy your life. It's not about refusing joy. It's about infusing joy into your existence. It's like our first two words that we looked over in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 John. You know, our first word was fellowship. 
And we talked about that in chapter one. And some people may think, well, uh, you know, oh, oh no, I got to become part of some sort of church fellowship, and that's really going to crimp my style. But the truth is that church fellowship can crimp your style if you go about it the wrong way. <laughs> but if you have the proper kind of fellowship with God and His church, your life becomes much more meaningful to yourself. And believe it or not, to the people that surround you. Then last week, we took another key word out of the chapter, and that was love. And the culture that, that surrounds us advertises the idea that we need to be able to love ourselves above everything else. But that's not what God's word says, does it? Because when we follow what the world says, when we love ourselves above everything else, the world says we're going to be extremely satisfied I don't know about you, but I haven't found one person that has been extremely satisfied uh, when they try to love themselves above anything else. Truth is, when we put God as the highest level of love in our lives, that he becomes number one in our lives, then we can have love for others, and that would be number two. Then we can love ourselves the right way. That's when we live a life that matters. I hope you kind of see the pattern that's happening here, do you? You know, now we come into chapter 3 of John, uh, of 1 John, and it, he comes to a new theme, and that's righteousness. So I want us to be able to go ahead and read this chapter. Open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole thing and read it all. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1866. But turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 24. I want you to read God's word for yourself. It's so important that you read God's word for yourself. I stumble on my word. Sometimes I read the wrong word. Sometimes I make mistakes when I type it on the screen. So read God's word for yourself. He's the only one that's perfect, not me. Amen? All right, hopefully you're there by now. If you're, if you're there, 1 John chapter 3, say amen. amen. I love it. Let's read it. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor, know, uh, nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. 
For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we, ought, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But, the, but, excuse me, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I just want to thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this opportunity to be able to praise you and worship you. Father, I thank you for giving us your perfect word to be able to read, and I'm sorry that even me being imperfect, stumbling across it, uh, messes it up. But Father, we know you don't mess it up at all. So Father, just work in our hearts. Use the Holy Spirit within us to teach us and guide us where we need to be, to understand what you have to say to us, and to be able to live it out tomorrow. So, Father, I just pray you rid our minds and our hearts of everything happening in our lives, good, bad, indifferent, so we're only focusing on you and your word. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our key verse for today is going to be 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. And I want to read that verse one more time with you. It says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Now, for those of us who maybe you're online, maybe you're in here, and you see sometimes those capital H's in the middle of the sentence, we're talking about Jesus or God, one of the two. They're one and the same anyway. But depending on the text, it could be Jesus the person, the human flesh of, of God, or it could be God the Father. We just don't know who exactly they're talking about until we read it. But we have to understand they're talking about God. So listen to that. He who practices righteousness... If Nick practices righteousness and is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. Do you see that? So it means so much more if you put it into its true perspective when you change it from he to put your name or his name in there. 
And so I want to encourage you to do that as you read Scripture. When you see those capital letters, does it mean Jesus? Does it mean God? Does it mean the Holy Spirit? Figure it out. You can read it in the context of the verse or the verses that surround it of who they're talking about. But that, that gives it so much more insight. I hope you take that away. That's a little nugget I want you to take home with you. Put in your pouch or whatever to bring it out later on. See, but we're investigating the word righteous because righteousness is another integral part to living a life that matters. And if we want to enjoy life to the capacity that God has created us to be able to enjoy it, if we're going to experience the fullness of God's joy within us, then we're going to have to experience Christ's righteousness so that we, that way we can live righteous lives. But what's that connection between righteousness and living a life that matters? Well, when we make a faith commitment to Christ, we inherit these, uh, a set of truly remarkable uh, benefits from God. See, John mentions some of these perks that we receive by being God's children in this chapter. And that's what I really want to look at today. So how does, make, how does being God's children make our lives matter? How does having Christ's righteousness and living out that righteousness that's in him make our lives more worthwhile? Well, here's your first point. As God's children, God has, Christ has taken our sins away, hasn't he? I mean, we should get an, astound, an astounding amen to that. I mean, Christ has taken our sins away. Do you believe that? Amen? I mean, that's the first way that Christ's righteousness makes our lives matter. God takes away the sins of all his children. Now think of all the negative ways that that sin impacts our lives. We get guilt, we get shame, we get judgment. But the thing is, when we come to know Christ and we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, He takes our sins away and, and by taking them upon Himself. Do you remember what happened on the cross? But He also takes away all the negative impact that sin has on our lives. See, our guilt is gone. Our shame is gone. And here's the best part. God's judgment upon our sin is gone. See, it reminds me of one time when I was skating down in uh, uh, Fort, La- Fort Lauderdale. I don't know if you ever heard of this evangelist's name. His name is Luis Palau. And uh, when I was still skating, I was skating. He brought his, um, uh, what they called Beach Fest to Fort Lauderdale Beach at the time. And a bunch of Christian bands out there. But we set up a mini skate park out there to skate and do a show. And after the show, we were able to give some of our testimony. Some of the skaters were able to tell the crowd that was there how we came to know Christ as our Savior. And after we gave an invitation that day, so many people came forward. Hundreds of people were coming forward that day uh, just because we were skating. Think about that for a moment. You know, we were doing things that, that we loved, but we just gave a testimony about Jesus Christ. When, I, when this one person came forward and came right there in the skate park and, and, and they, they really opened up my eyes without them even knowing that they were doing so. See, this person came to me and was crying in the need of Jesus Christ. They wanted Jesus as their Savior so bad and he accepted Christ into his life that day. 
few weeks later, I ended up running into that same person. Uh, you know, I lived down there, so I, I, you know, we traveled the same circles, apparently, and I, I, I got a chance to talk to him once more, and I wanted to find out how things were going now that he accepted Jesus as a Savior. And he started crying again, thanking me as if I did something when it was always Christ. But he said that that day helped him forget and cope with all of the things that was happening on his life, going on in his life. He went further and told me a little bit more and said that he was, you know, involved in drugs and alcohol and he'd have sex and even give himself up so he could buy more drugs and alcohol and uh, would steal if he would need to and do everything he would need to do to be able to to keep his uh, addiction going. And it also helped him take everything off his mind of what was happening now, he didn't go into details what that was, but he did tell me that if he didn't intoxicate himself with the drugs or alcohol or everything that was going on in his life, he'd have nightmares that kept him up all night. Well, what he told me next really hit me hard and threw me for a loop. He told me that when he came to that crusade on Fort Lauderdale Beach, that he came there to kill himself. He was at his breaking point. But he stopped because he saw us skating and was interested in what we were doing. And when we gave our testimony, when we asked people to come forward to meet Jesus, in his own words, he said he almost ran up front. And he accepted Jesus that day. I don't know where he is right now, but I know one day that we're going to be able to see him in heaven. And But that day, he felt free. See, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are free. Amen? We are free. I mean, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4-7 through 7 tells us Exactly what happens when we become free. He said, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know, he goes on and says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Remember what I said about the capital H? And Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. So whoever, if you're a whoever, raise your hand. If on line two, we're all whoever's. Whoever abides in him and Jesus does not sin. Whoever sins, though, has never neither seen him nor known him. I know that sounds confusing. We all sin, and we talk about that every day, even if we become believers. This is not the sin that John is talking about here. He's talking about our sin of unrighteousness, of being separated from God. And the only way we can connect, reconnect with God is through Jesus Christ. Little children of Central Baptist, of Port St. Lucie, let no one deceive you. 
Don't let anybody tell you differently. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. See, when we come to Christ by faith, trusting that, that, through his death that he did for us on the cross, for you individually, every single one of us individually, as a perfect payment for our sin, we no longer practice a sinful lifestyle. Now, of course, we're going to sin in our everyday lives, but the, the Greek lang language that's used here, the Greek word that's used here in the original text clearly states that it's a practice of a sinful lifestyle. That indicates that if we practice a sinful lifestyle, that's what's indicating that we don't have a true fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let me put it a different way. Although we cannot live sinlessly, we can live consistently. Say that with me. Although we cannot live sinlessly, we can live consistently. That's important to know, amen? See, we can live a righteous lifestyle because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And John goes on in that, in that passage in, in verses 9 through 10 and says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God, praise the Lord. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So how do we reach out to our friends and our family here in the 21st century? He's in the first century church writing this, John was. How do we do it today? You know, we have friends who might believe in something, but they don't believe in the church of today. We can reach out to them, though, the same way John encourages us to reach out to the first century Christ followers. We have to live a consistent life in front of those people. We need to let them see Jesus in everything that we do and in what we say. We must show love. We talked about that enough of that last week, didn't we? So they can see it. We need to confess when we do mess up to God and we need to be able to just give it up to Him so God can take it away from us and don't take it back. But we have to also be careful that we, think, don't, we don't think that we can live in any which way we want to please just because we're righteous. Because we can't claim to know God that way. That's what Scripture says. See, we live our lives as exhibits, as a display of God's wonderful grace and peace and joy within us. But in order to be an exhibit that shows that off, we must live our righteous lives. In order, to, not only for us to experience the purpose of God within our lives, but maybe you'll come across a person that needs to hear about Jesus Christ one day. See, we deserve punishment for our sins, don't we? We don't even deserve God's grace and mercy. 
But when we come to, when we become God's children by making that faith commitment in Jesus Christ, God holds back what we actually do deserve through his mercy. And he lavishes, lavishes upon us what we don't deserve by his grace. So that's a great perk of being one of God's children. And we need to be able to express that joyfully and freely with our friends and our family and the strangers we meet and whomever we can. Those that are yet to experience that same freedom, that same joy, that same liberty, that same peace that you have of getting your sins taken away. So that's our first perk. The first perk of living a life that matters. As God's children, Christ has taken our sins away. Secondly, as God's children, Christ has destroyed the works of the devil for us. Christ has destroyed the works of Satan. Now, I think all of us would agree that the devil is a mastermind of evil. Would you, would you agree with that? Amen? But the Bible even goes even further and says that he's a liar, he's a murderer, he's a slanderer, he's a thief. He's an angel of, of, of light even, it says. All that all rolled into one. He's a mocker. He's an antichrist. He opposes everything that God says and does or anything anybody else that says and does anything for God. Satan is the greatest enemy of God's children. But the good news is because of Christ's work, the devil is beatable. I didn't say unbeatable. The, the devil is beatable because of Christ's work. But how? Look at verse 8. It says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God, who's that? Come on. Jesus. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Do you see that? The devil is a king of mean. But when we come to Christ by faith and become one of God's children, we have immediate triumph over Satan through Christ. But the Satan's not going to give up, is he? He's going to yap at your heels like a little chihuahua. I'm sorry if you have one of those. But you, let me give you a picture. You ever see a chihuahua barking and thinks he's much bigger than he really is? That's Satan, isn't he? Satan thinks he's much bigger than he already is. But praise the Lord, my Savior, my Lord has him whipped. Everyone has to contend with Satan. Even if you think that the devil doesn't bother you that much, he's bothering you just as much. And if he's not, Maybe you need to get a little thicker into the battle. Because the Bible clearly teaches us that God's children are involved in spiritual warfare each and every day. And that spiritual warfare is against Satan and his accomplices. So don't ever, plead, don't, don't ever think that the devil's existence is part of some spiritual fairy tale out there. Because Satan is very real. But the good news, I don't want to give you all doom and gloom, 
The good news, though, is that those who become God's children have the key to success against Satan. We are not defenseless against this spiritual villain at all. And God has given us a spiritual armor to be able to defend ourselves. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says. It says, put it on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And do you know what one of the several essential parts of our spiritual armor is? It's the breastplate of righteousness. That's what 6.14 says, doesn't it? The breastplate of righteousness. See, no human can win this spiritual war without Christ's righteousness. And do you notice where Christ's righteousness is? In the breastplate over your heart. It's not a helmet, is it? It's over your heart. You know, that word Satan means attacker, accuser. And in this election year, we're all currently having to live through, you know, candidates on both sides are doing things, accusing one another of various things. And sometimes accusations are even true. But there's a lot of times that sometimes politicians are just making things up, just to get their point across and seeing what sticks. But aren't we the same if we follow those same tactics? See, without Christ's righteousness, we're all vulnerable to Satan's accusatory attacks. But we're also vulnerable to let Satan use us by attacking others. Why? Because every one of us is guilty. Every single one of us is guilty. Satan can accuse us of sin, and he would be right. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. But when we're wearing the spiritual body armor of Christ's righteousness over our hearts, we become resistant to his accusations. They bounce off. Satan can't attack Christ's righteousness. There's no way he can attack and defeat Christ's righteousness. And there's not even a chink in that piece of armor. So we have Christ has taken our sins away, number one. Christ has destroyed the works of Satan, number two. And number three, God's, as God's children, we receive what we ask from Him. But with a big caveat. With a big caveat. This is one of the biggest promises in Scripture. The promise that God answers the prayers of his children. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That sounds wonderful. I mean, the best thing to know is that, that somebody died, God died for me, to be able to connect me back with God the Father. But the second best thing to know is that if I'm praying for something, Christ will, that God will answer it. We have an, a heavenly father that's willing and ready to be able to muster his forces and his supplies uh, to be able to respond to our requests. He has the ability of blinking an eye, taking a breath, snapping a finger, use whatever analogy you want, and everything you ask for can come true. Do you believe that he has the ability and the power to do anything and everything? 
But we need to be careful about this wonderful promise here, though. We must be careful because there's a condition on answered prayers. Look at verse 22. It says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Do you see that part? A lot of times we stop at that first part. Whatever we ask, we're going to get. That's not what God's word says, does it? There's a caveat. Because. So let me clarify this. When we're living righteously in God's righteousness, we are not going to ask for things that don't glorify God. We're following God's plan for our lives when we do this. And we're habitually practicing what's pleasing to God. See, that's what, that, that's what provides the fuel for this conditional promise of answered prayer. We cannot expect answered prayers from God if we're not obeying His orders. If we're not practicing what's pleasing to God. If we're not living righteously, our, our prayers become selfish in the wrong way, don't they? And then we go back like we learned last week. Instead of being in our elevator in the fourth floor, maybe we drop down to level two and maybe even to the ground floor of love. When our prayers are answered, boy, it adds such great meaning to our lives, doesn't it? It produces such wonderful joy and fulfillment. I don't want to belabor this point. I just want to tell you a quick story of answered prayer. The year was 1820, and P Peter Richley was a grateful man. He survived one of the strangest events known to mankind. The ship and where he was traveling in sank, but he was rescued. Well, by some strange twist of circumstance, that second ship that he was on sank. Well, he was rescued again, and unfortunately, that third ship sank as well. He was rescued a third time, and that fourth ship sank one more time. And unbelievably, he actually was rescued a fourth time. But that fifth ship sank as well. You know, th those kind of things happen, and it could be laughable if it wasn't so serious. And on, when it, while he was on the high seas, he floated with the serene confidence that somehow God just didn't want him to die. And sure enough, as if it was on cue, here comes another ship coming by and answers his call for help. This is the ocean liner, the city of Leeds, and it was named after the British city's origin. And uh, it was bound from England to Australia on its journey, and it traveled the same sea lane that P Peter Richley was on. Well, the crew of the city of Leeds Hopped, uh, grabbed Peter aboard and gave him some dry clothing and some food to get him back to where he needed to be physically. The ship doctor gave him an exam and pronounced him actually to be fit. Well, the captain comes over and hears his story and, and hears how unbelievable it really was. So he asked for a favor from Peter Richley. He says, there's a lady on board who booked a passage to Australia and she's looking for her son who disappeared years ago. And she's dying to see her son just one last time. 
She knows everybody on board, and we can't try to trick her or anything with those people on board, but you're a newcomer. Would you please pretend to be her son? This captain asked. Well, so Peter richly agreed, and I mean, after all, his life was saved for the fifth time in, in short days. Well, he followed the doctor below deck, and he entered into the cabin, and there on a small bed was a frail woman with silver hair, and she was obviously suffering with a high fever. Well, deliriously, she was crying out, Please, God, let me see my son just one more time before I die. Please, God, help me. Well, the ship's doctor gently pushed the young man towards this woman, and soon Peter richly started sobbing. Lying there on the bed was the reason that he couldn't seem to die. Here was the lifeline that kept Peter Richley from drowning five different times. Lying on that bed was none other than Sarah Richley, who prayed for 10 years to be reconciled with her son Peter. Well, the ship's doctor stood in amazement as the young man fell down at the bed and, and embraced that sick woman. I'm here, Mom. I'm here. It's me, your son. Within days, the fever subsided and his mother was awakened to find an unanswered prayer seated at the edge of her bed. And I'm just curious. Do you have a prayer request for God? that you think is insurmountable? I don't know about you, but my God can conquer anything He pleases. He is the power and the, and the strength and the being to do whatever we ask. If you're a child of God and you're living according to God's purposes, the Bible says you can receive whatever you ask. That's because we're living in His ways, in His will, on His path. So there's definitely a lot of perks to living a, a righteous life, lifestyle. But the bigger question that we should be asking ourselves today is, am I living a life that matters with righteousness? We're about to go to our invitation time here in a second and maybe you're you need to recommit to a righteous lifestyle maybe you never walked a righteous life before whatever it is please come forward during this song we have these kneeling benches right here to be able to pray if you can't kneel here come to the front in the pew and kneel uh, just uh, sit in the pew but come forward and ask god to forgive you and then give you help. It's so important that we commit today to living a life that matters. You can't have fellowship and love until you're righteous. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're online watching us. And you need Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you don't know what that means. Maybe you kind of got an idea. But let me tell you, until you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, well, according to the scripture we read today, you're lawless. You have sin. You're separated from God. And until you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
you'll be that same way. All you need to do is a accept Jesus, or excuse me, admit that you're a sinner, admit that you've messed up. B believe that God came down on this earth in the flesh as Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. That blood covers the sins that we have. And then three days later, he was resurrected. He defeated death by rising again. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. If you believe that, not here, but here, then he'll cover you with the breastplate of righteousness if you only see, confess, confess with your mouth and your heart that he is Lord. So I want to encourage you today, here, online, wherever you are. Maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you need to be able to have Jesus because you want to go to heaven. Maybe you need Jesus because you want to be able to have the joy and the peace that others have, that already have Christ as their Savior. Don't wait another day. We all know people who have died way too young. That day for you might be today. So don't wait any longer. Do it today. Come forward. Nick Manzi is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at PastorNickCentralBaptistPSL at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast. Mm-hmm.